Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezra. Ezra will be in chapter 1. It's on page 389. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find in front of you. Now, this past June, uh, ruling elder Ben Muma and I flew up to Detroit for our denomination's annual meeting. We call it the General Assembly. And much of what we do is listen and vote on various reports. However, the first few days, the denomination usually brings in nationally known speakers to present on a topic that's relevant to ministry. In this past year, the EPC invited a man named Ed Stetzer to speak to us pastors and ruling elders about the current state of the church. For those of you who don't know Ed Stetzer, he has published several books on culture and the church in America. He served as the director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. He served as the director of Lifeway Publishing Research Group and has written for several Christian magazines, including Christianity Today and Outreach Magazine. Now, his presentation was both encouraging and challenging at the same time. It was encouraging because many of the things that he was saying about the state of the church was reflective of our experience here at Rivermont. But it was challenging because I realized that many of the struggles that we have experienced are the result of forces that are beyond our control. To summarize a two-hour presentation in a minute... Stetzer noted that the church has undergone a major disruption over the past two years from the pandemic and from other social and political events that have been particularly divisive. Now, everyone take a breath. I'm going to say things that are make you a little bit uncomfortable, right? Think about the last two years. Lockdowns. George Floyd. Defund the police. The 2020 election. January 6th, vaccines, mask mandates. You get the point. These struggles have had the following effect on the church. One, leadership in the church in America is discouraged and not sure how to lead their congregation on these issues. Two, church attendance is down by at least 20% across the board in America. People have left the church, people have switched churches, and people are not as regular in their attendance as they once were. Three, volunteers are lacking in many critical areas of church life. Four, and somewhat paradoxically, giving is up by about 10% in the church across America. This increase in giving may reflect how online giving makes it more difficult to forget to tithe. And five, people are less connected to the church community and are giving preference to online options over the inconvenience of gathering together in person. Now, many people have observed these issues and concluded that the church is never going to be the same, that we will be permanently fighting and dividing over social issues. That church attendance will continue to remain lower than pre-pandemic levels. And that people will continue to isolate and prefer spiritual or digital spirituality over in-person worship. 
With all of this, the question is, is there hope for the future of the church gathered? This Sunday, we begin our fall sermon series through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra and Nehemiah are historical accounts of the return of God's people from exile. You see, in about 1500 BC, the Lord brought his people out of Egypt and settled them in the land of Canaan. And for about a thousand years, they lived in the promised land. But they turned from following the Lord and they provoked the Lord to anger. And therefore, the Lord punished his people by exiling them out of the promised land. The Babylonians invaded, ransacked their cities, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and forcibly took the people back to Babylon as slaves. And it would seem that the people of God were doomed to be destroyed. They were doomed to lose their identity as a chosen nation to bring the blessing of God to all people. For what chances is there that they would ever return to their land? What are the chances that they would ever rebuild their place of worship? What are the chances that the walls of Jerusalem would ever be restored? What are the chances that a son of David would ever rule as king again? Is there hope for God's people to be gathered once again? From the perspective of the world, there is not. But the eyes of faith look to the word of God and to his power to bring an end to our exile. So here now, the word of the Lord, Ezra chapter one. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the nations of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods, with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts and with costly wares besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus, the king, also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. 
All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Teshbazer bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. O guide us, we pray, O God, by Your word and spirit, that in Your light we may see light, and in Your truth that we might find freedom, and in Your will discover Your peace, that through Jesus Christ our Lord, we might know the hope of the future that You have for Your people. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. The first thing that we see in our text is that if we would have hope for the future of God's people, we must first know God's promises for the future of His people. We must know His promises. Look again at verse 1 of our text. There we read that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. The proclamation that Cyrus makes that we read about here in our text was that the people of Israel who had been exiled off of their land by the Babylonians would now return to their land and be supplied with all they needed to rebuild the temple. By the time of this proclamation, the people of Israel had been in exile for more than a generation. There was very little hope that they would ever return to their land, but the Lord had spoken through His prophets that He would indeed bring His people back from exile. On the very eve of the exile, the prophet Jeremiah declared, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What hope do the people of God have when all the forces of the world seem to conspire against them? What hope do they have that they will ever return to the land that the Lord had given to them? What hope do they have when all the power and wealth that they once had has been taken away? They have the promise of God's Word. They have strong and unfailing hope of what God has declared to His people. And this is how the exile will be brought to an end through the fulfillment of of God's promises. And this is the only hope that we have today. This is the only solid foundation for the future, the promise of God's Word to His people. For the Word of God does not return to Him void, but it fulfills every purpose for which He sends it forth. And as we struggle to envision a future of flourishing for the church, we are called upon to go to the Word of God and see the promises that He has made. 
The promise for God's people is today is that though evil spiritual forces may seek to overcome the church, the Lord Jesus says, my church will not be overcome by the gates of hell. And the letter to the Ephesians, Paul tells us that God has put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things. Why? For the church. Christ has been given all authority for the sake of His church and He is directing all history to the end that His church would be blessed and would grow. You see, throughout history, the strength of the church seems to ebb and flow. There are times when the church seems to be in decline and other times when the church seems to be growing. But despite what we might see outwardly, By faith in the Word of God, we know that in the end, the church is victorious. We know that it will continue to grow and to thrive. And by faith in God's promises, we know that no weapon formed against us may prosper. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We know that our ancient foe seeks to destroy us. But we do not have fear before Him because the Word of God is triumphing through us. Yes, the church in the 21st century has a battle to fight. But the promise of God's Word is that by Christ's power, we will win this battle. That is how the exile ends. Through God's promise fulfilled. Now, I believe that one of the most difficult aspects of the past few years has been the lack of control that we have felt through this time. The issues that we have been dealing with in many ways were beyond our individual ability to affect our control. We're dealing with global pandemic. We're dealing with societal tensions. We're living through national political movements. We could read about what was going on, but no matter how much we wanted to change what was happening out in the world, we were essentially unable to do hardly anything about it. Take, for example, the regulations that we were to follow as a church. We weren't given a voice on when we were forced to shut down our services. The governor did not ask for my input on when to come back or on social distancing or on mass mandates. These decisions were made and we had essentially no power as individuals to change them. And this isn't a complaint per se. It is rather an observation that there were forces and there continues to be forces in this world that are beyond our control to that directly affect our life and directly affect the life and health of the church in general. How can we have hope for the future of the church when so much that affects the church is beyond our control? Well, what we see in our passage is though we may feel out of control, all things remain under God's control. Again, verse 1, we read, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. Throughout the word of God, we see over and over again 
that while it might appear that the kings of the earth are the ones who are in charge, ultimately it is God who controls all things. God is the one who stirred up the spirit of Cyrus so that Cyrus did as he pleased. Listen to the way that Isaiah prophesied concerning God's control of Cyrus. He says, the Lord says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. You see, the Lord is in control of the hearts of all of the world's leaders. Whether they be presidents or governors, prime ministers or dictators, kings or senators, the Lord is in control. He hardened the heart of Pharaoh to do as he pleased to gain glory over him. He directed the heart of King Sihon so that Israel would gain a great victory. He controlled the heart of Nebuchadnezzar that he might humble him and receive glory from Nebuchadnezzar's humbling. The book of Proverbs expresses this truth when it says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. This is the great hope of God's people. We are weak and we are humble. The church is not given the power of the sword or the power of the law. And in many ways, we are left to the whim of those who are in control. And this may make us angry. It may make us want to rage. It may make us divided. But what we see is that above all rule and all authority is one final authority, one final director of human events. And it is not a king. It is the king of kings. And he does not merely direct the hearts of kings, but as the Westminster Shorter Catechism so clearly and biblically states, God is in control of all of his creatures and all of their actions. Now, this truth does not mean that people in places of authority do not make mistakes. It doesn't mean that they don't act in malicious or evil ways. It does mean, though, that God's purposes and plans continue to move forward and that even evil intent will be used to accomplish God's purposes to save his people. How do we have hope for the church when authorities are acting in ways that seem to be harmful to the health of the church? We trust that God is in control. The clearest example of this truth is Acts 2.23. There we read that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But then Peter turns to the crowds and said that you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The most wicked act that humanity has ever accomplished, the murder of the innocent Son of God, was accomplished according to the definite plan of God. And it happened so that His people might be saved. This is the hope that we have for the church, Christian. God is in control of all things and is directing all powers towards the good of His people, the church. Jesus went to the cross He poured out His blood that He might purchase forgiveness of sins to all who trust in Him. And He rose from the dead to defeat death and gather His people into His body that they might have life 
everlasting. That is the hope that we have in the midst of a world where we feel out of control. That God is in control. And He is saving His people. So how does the exile of God's people come to an end? How is His people to be brought home safely? Well, first, the exile ends according to God's word of promise. And therefore, we must know His word of promise. Second, the exile ends according to God's control over all things. And therefore, no matter what we see outwardly with our eye, we must trust the Lord to act for our good. And the third thing that we see in our text is that the exile ends as God's people obey His command to go home. It may be blatantly obvious, but for the exile to end, the people of God had to go back to Jerusalem. They'd been com- they had become comfortable in exile. Most of them were too young to even remember what Israel was like. Babylon felt like home to them. To go to Israel was to go to a land that had been destroyed and needed rebuilding. It was to leave what they knew as home, to leave their land, to leave their businesses, and to start anew. It was to have the faith of Abraham, to leave what was familiar and trust that God would care for them along the way as they went back to the land of Israel. Look at verse 3, it says, Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. If this is going to end, if the temple is going to be rebuilt, then you have to leave where you are now comfortable and go back to Israel. Ezra chapter 2 is a witness of those who took up the call to return. Those who had the faith to end the exile by going home. And Christian, if we would see the flourishing of the church and the end of exile, it's time to return. It's time to return to the church. It's time to come back to the church and to begin to rebuild what has been broken down. Now, before I go any further, please understand that if you have a health condition that keeps you from returning, these words are not directed at you. We're so pleased that so many people can join us through live stream and we are blessed by your faithful participation in the ways that are available to you. If you cannot physically come, but you are continuing to engage through our online services, you are being faithful in what the Lord has called you to. But for the rest of us, it's time to end the exile. I know that Many of you have become comfortable doing church in bed with your coffee. You've fallen out of the habit. You feel disconnected. You feel uncomfortable coming and being present. But the Word of God is calling you back. 
For some of you, that means that you need to come back for the first time since spring of 2020. You have been gone so long, it's difficult for you to even imagine returning. It is time to take that step of faith and obedience and come back to in-person worship to be with God's people again. For some of you, that means rededicating to truly faithful participation in the life of this body. Your vow that you took at membership to be faithful to that is not fulfilled by attending worship once a month or twice a month or even three times a month. Unless you are providentially hindered from being present, whether by travel or work or sickness, It is the expectation that you make every effort to be present in worship every single Sunday. This is not your day. It is the Lord's day. And you need to be in the house of the Lord on His day to obey the Word of God that says do not neglect gathering together as some have done. As the Word of God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It is the expectation of membership in this church that you would be here every single Sunday unless you are providentially hindered from doing so. If you find yourself asking the question on Sunday morning, are we going to go to church this Sunday? You've taken a wrong turn. You are not called to make a decision each Sunday whether you will be here or not. The Lord has called His people to be in worship every single Sunday. That the exile might end. And for some of you, this means engaging in the life of the church in new and deeper ways. Helping us rebuild. Connecting with a Sunday school class or a small group. Serving as a volunteer in our children's ministry. Stepping out in neighborhood outreach. Rebuilding what God would have for us here at Rivermont. You see, if God's people would see the end of the exile, they must be willing to obey the Lord's command to return and to rebuild. So will the church ever be the same after the past two and a half years? Well, of course, the answer is no. The church will never be the same. The past two and a half years have shaped our world, it's shaped our culture, it's shaped our church in ways that will never be undone. We can't go back. But that should not make us upset or dejected. Because we believe that the Lord has used the two and a half years that have gone before us to position His church to more faithfully follow Him in the decades that are ahead. He has shaped us and He has molded us to be more focused on His mission. To save a people to Himself. He has redirected and rededicated us so that we would be ready to worship, obey, and serve Him in a more faithful manner in the years that are ahead. 
For all things are under the authority of Christ for the good of His church. God has good plans for His people. Plans to prosper us in the future that is ahead. And this is how the exile ends. When God's people know and trust His Word. When God's people look to His power alone. And when God's people obey His command. Therefore, as we look to the future that is ahead, we don't look as those who are pining for the past, but those who are marching forward into the future with great hope for what the Lord has for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would truly end the exile that so many of us have experienced over the last handful of years. I pray especially, Lord, for those who have been gone for many years. Lord, who have emotional struggle to come back. Oh Lord, would You stir up their heart that they might again return to Your people. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.